Hey, Ted, how's it going? Pretty good, Seth. How you doing? Good. Here we are talking about basketball. Saturday morning. Pod. What a way to spend a Saturday morning. It's good. Um, so we wanted to talk about um, some of the NBA's plans for next season. And then I want to get into some like sort of like, I don't know what the word is. I want to like think about the humanity and like draft projections kind of and like <laughs> what are like what are players like what what are what's wrong with our ability to like suss out the future like what are we what do we miss and what do we get mm-hmm. uh is the thing i'm interested in thinking about so like i asked i like i wanted us to talk about like this idea of like dangerous comparisons like um players who we tend to like compare people to that are like not good to compare people to maybe yeah um but let's start with the plans for next season so like uh my reading of this is that they're going to start early. They're starting like December 22nd, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to play 72 games. So they're starting like, what is that? Like almost a whole month later than they usually start. Um, yeah. But, well, but only playing 10 fewer games. Right. So I uh, did a, a quick turnaround and then also like a uh, season that would be like a sprint the whole time. Yeah. What do you think uh, about this? Uh, I have a lot of uh, critiques. <laughs> I, you well, have, some, you have some notes. <laughs> I have I have some notes, and I have an alternative proposal. Oh, good. Okay. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully Adam Silver listens to uh, <laughs> this fifth episode of the Disposition podcast. <laughs> I'm sure it's gotten its attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I think it needs to be said that like the players' union, they want to start the season maybe in like late January. Yeah. And I, I even saw a quote somewhere, I, Danny Green said something about how like LeBron wouldn't show up for the first month, which I, I don't think is actually true. I don't know. Um, but I think that touches on this idea that like these players are probably like pretty exhausted. Yeah. Uh, and I think that we can't can't discount the like mental fatigue of being in like a isolation, uh, an isolated bubble for that long. But um, yeah. so I think that these decisions really seem like they're being made. Uh, explicitly for uh like like economic reasons yeah 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 uh and it's so stupid that like they last year they made billions of dollars but not enough billions of dollars i know it's now they're like freaking out um (laughs) it's it's a good it's a really good point but here's why i think this idea is terrible um so christmas has become like a uh basketball holiday Mm -hmm. and they're clearly trying to start things up so they get that bump yeah, that they've gotten years past. Well, that's and, start to, and yeah. as Jesus intended. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Jesus was a ball player. Um, <laughs> uh, so the issue is that like they're banking on that as if Christmas is going to be normal this year, right? And so here's the thing that's really interesting to me is that like <clears throat> in the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone was like stuck inside, everyone was like watching Tiger King. I was like, okay, when sports comes back it's going to be huge. Like yeah. people are going to need this. But I think what actually we found it because all of these leagues have had these huge dips in numbers, right. Across the board, baseball, football, basketball, yeah. uh, is that I actually think in this specific moment in time where there's so much stress, it's actually really difficult to engage with mindless fun. Huh. Um, and so this idea that like people are going to sit down and watch 12 hours of basketball, like they haven't years past. 
women, they like might not be with family. Like they might not be, uh, you know, having time off from work or they might be like isolated or, you know, people fly home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people gather in this way that this might end up being this like really dark winter where mm-hmm. none of that stuff happens. Oh, it's going to be a dark winter. <laughs> so I think that like, they're not going to get that boost and it's going to feel really, uh, in- incongruous if they're having like all of this, like Christmas imagery on screen, uh, if they're wearing like holiday jerseys, it's just going to be really out of step with like, I think what we're all actually experiencing. Yeah. It's a good point. Like if we're trying to have some sort of like holiday celebration on TV while like thousands of people are dying every day, that, that, exactly. might, that might be a little tricky. Um, I, I do kind of want to like, I don't, I don't know like the reason why the ratings weren't good, but I mm-hmm. would, I would say like, I just think like our our whole ability to like predict what's what's happening is like so busted right now. Like we just don't know like what what the factors that we're living through are gonna like um, manifest as in any yeah. way. It's true. And I, so I think your 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 point is a good one. I guess like in terms of the mental. I, th- I think with the conversation around basketball, we keep blaming the bubble for the mental stress, but it's like, I actually think the mental stress is like just what we're living through. Like, um, I get like that being away from the, like for the players, like being away from their families added like a certain amount of stress. But I think like uh, a lot of players have reported that like the, in terms of like basketball, the bubble actually like helped them focus and stuff. And like, yeah, I would just say that as a human being living in the world, I would, uh, I would have rather been in the bubble. I I feel like being in that bubble would have been much less stressful. <laughs> um, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, I I think from like a health standpoint, yeah, it probably felt very safe in there. I just think that like imagine if you were dealing with all of the stress I know, that, that I you have been dealing with, but then also you don't have any of your comforts at your disposal, even just like your own bed, your right. you know, your pet, your yeah. yeah uh, like the snacks you have in your kitchen, you're yeah. going to sit down and watch TV for eight hours. It's a good living. point. It's a good point. Uh, so my, I want to, I want to, I want to propose like what I think would be better. Imagine a world in which like money is still important, but it's, you know, the product is equally as important and also like players being physically and mentally taken care of is, is important as well. Like socialist basketball league. Sure. Okay. <laughs> if just making money was enough and not having to make the most money possible. Right. Um, but, uh, okay, so I think that what they might be doing is just like what the other leagues are doing where they're going to fly teams around and play in empty stadiums, yeah. which to me is so batshit because we've seen it not work mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah. And the NBA specifically didn't do that the first time. Now they're like, yeah, why not? Like, I there's a real throw... I would yeah. add that it's even crazier because we're like we're reaching like a fever pitch of like of I the, know. Vi- the, vi- the like the virus is spreading like uncontrollably basically. Yeah, it's getting worse. Yeah, it's like in ways that it was like it was bad in the fall, but it wasn't like this. So imagine that they adopt some of the ideas of the bubble, where let's say they make two or or four like um, uh, mini bubbles across the country. Mm-hmm. And a team would fly in. Mm-hmm. They spend a week making sure that everyone is, is healthy um, and not contagious or positive for COVID. And then they would play basketball for, let's say, like a month mm-hmm. against the other teams in the bubble. So uh, we would have these mini uh, runs where, like, let's say you're a casual fan and you love the Celtics, 
but you're not maybe tuning into like a February night game against the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Let's say you don't get to see your team for like a month, and then for a month they're going to be playing the Lakers like three times in mm-hmm. ten days, mm-hmm. or uh, you know other high quality competition. Uh, I think that that I think the NBA sometimes has a problem where they're like flooding the market. Yeah. Even though they're the only product out there. Yeah. And if there were moments where you didn't get to immediately have access to it, it would actually be to their benefit. Yeah. And then and it would also do this thing where if they were playing the same teams, if they're playing the same four teams for a month, there would be a possibility of rival rivalries. Like the the excitement of playoffs is like a the bad blood of game one can spill into game two. Right. Right. That doesn't happen now in regular season because they might not see each other for like four months. No, it's a really good point. That's true. I mean, like, um, they there, there's this element of like the way that my understanding of the way the money works is that because of the TV deal being the main thing that is driving the economics, like right. the league is the league and the players basically want there to be as many games as possible because yes. of the salary structure like right so because if every game they don't play is a game that my understanding is that the networks aren't having to pay for like so the reason we had this like bubble basically was because they wanted to like try to like recoup as many of the games as they could mm-hmm. from last year so like yes i actually think there's a level at which the league and the players don't really give a shit about like the ratings like um yeah like they give a shit about the ratings because they're worried about the next tv deal and like trying trying to like stay in good in in like in like trying to like fulfill the contract to the best of their ability basically but like i do think i like wish they were using this as an opportunity to see what would happen if like if you if you like over the course of a season play fewer games does do the ratings for each individual game go up enough that it offsets the fewer games like like would the networks be able to sell more ads for a 58 game season than they like uh i like i wonder how the if if they actually like went from 82 to 58 permanently i wonder how that would affect the money like yeah ultimately and i think we just don't know but like i know the games would be better well i think this like mini bubble idea would also, um, because there'd be less travel, I think that the quality of the basketball would improve the way it did in the bubble. Yeah. Um, but I think what what's frustrating to me is that uh, football seems to have gotten it right, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of a necessity because of like, what a violent game it is. Yeah. But uh, the one know, game a week thing. If there was a football game on five nights a week, I don't think it would have the same like level of excitement as it does that they sort of just own one yeah. day a week. Um, so I wonder like how much money they make per ad the NFL does versus the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess like even though college sports are this like nightmare of um, in so many ways, like it maybe it, that is an interesting model, like the way, like if you're only playing like 30 games a year, like the people who love college sports are like, or college basketball are like so dedicated to it. Like, right. Right. Um, so I don't, even though like the quality of the product is so much worse than like, <laughs> than an NBA game, it's like crazy how sloppy those games are, but it's like scarcer. 
<laughs> you know what's funny is that what you're talking about now is in some ways a good transition to what you want to talk about. That's <laughs> true. It's true. Um, what do you think about like the quick? So like, what is t- today? Is the seventh, right? Do yeah. I have that right? Yeah. So um, today's the seventh. The draft is on the eighteenth. I think that's right. And free agency starts like soon after that. Doesn't doesn't it start before the draft? Shoot, we should have looked this up ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what, the point I'm trying to make here is that like all this shit is happening like in rapid succession. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I'm wondering, like, do you like? I don't have any feelings about like. My my sense of this is that like we're making a big deal about it, but like it doesn't matter on the end of the front. Like the front offices have been like thinking deeply about what they're gonna do. They've mm-hmm. been like doing all their preparation. Like I think. I think the like sped up process about this shit matters so much more for players who are trying to get their bodies ready for the season than it yes. does for like, I don't think it matters that like we're like rushing through the off season. And I think as a fan, it's like, I'm actually incredibly excited about this off season. Like, because it's going to like the, the like sped up nature of it means that we're about to have like two weeks of just like constant, like yeah. news. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about like, um, so like you know this like term doom scrolling that's been in our <laughs> lives over the past few days like with the all too well yeah but like I was thinking about how fun like um like the trade deadline is in basketball or like the days leading up to the draft like yeah. I'm it's like sort of like that it's like the opposite of doom scrolling a little bit it's like this really fun version of like refreshing the internet and like right like, right um i'm excited for the next couple of weeks like i'm like i'm not excited for it in basically any way except basketball news do you think it will be the same as it has been in the past where there's like this leaking of information mm-hmm. that uh may or may not be right it's mm-hmm. like it's like rumor mongering yes and then all of a sudden actual news breaks do you think it's going to be that similar sort of uh like journalists probing and leaking random information yeah especially since like i think we have this like perfect storm of like i don't know if i'm right about this but it feels like a higher percentage of the teams in the nba than usual think they're gonna be good next year (laughs) it's like the whole west is trying to make the playoffs and just about every team in the east also like just like not the knicks like even even, I, i think even the knicks are like I'm reading rumors about the Knicks tra- like going after Justin Holiday. Like, why would they be going after Justin Holiday? He's like a vet- well, a veteran who would be good on a good team. Like, wait, Justin Holiday is that yeah, not Drew Holiday? Justin Holiday, like <laughs> a, a wing defender who like I don't know. It's like yeah, yeah, the even, last piece of the puzzle. Like yeah, exactly. Even the Knicks are like I. Uh, I guess like the Cavs. Just the Cavs, yeah. But the Cavs are even the Cavs are talking about trying to be good. So well, like, this... so you have all these teams trying to be good, and then weirdly at the top of the draft, you have like the Warriors are like a championship contender. They're drafting sure. number two, and the the Timberwolves have traded away their pick for next year's draft. They like it would be such a disaster for them if they're not at least decent this year that they have to like they have to think about trading that pick like right right and so I'm just super interested in like 
how these teams sort of like negotiate the process of trying to build themselves out for this year, especially yeah. also given like they're going to have to be super creative about it because like the salary cap isn't going up. Um, not a lot of teams have right. cap room. Yeah, that's a really good point. So I'm excited um, about that. Well, then the other thing is that I think in years past, if you a team had the you know a top three pick, yeah, or maybe it's top two, or maybe just one. There's if there's like a um, an obvious mm-hmm. candidate for then the sort of critical analysis you cannot trade that pick, right? Because right. that player will haunt you for the rest of his playing days, yeah. um, and that's not the case this year. There's no consensus number one, or really. Yeah. Is there what is is there a consensus like top three or top? Yeah, there's a consensus top three. It's uh, Anthony Edwards from Georgia. It's mm-hmm. Lamelo Ball and it's James Wiseman. Okay. Um, but like, uh, it, so there is a consensus top three, except like a bunch of other like draft experts seem to have like, for example, like Killian Hayes ranked number one on their draft board, like. There's a consensus top three, but it's not consistent somehow, even yeah. though it seems kind of consensus. But then on top of that, like those players in a normal draft would not be like if you take like there's so many players from previous drafts who were like who you would take number one in this draft who didn't go number one in those drafts. Right. Like, I don't know. I was interested. I was like as a Celtics fan, I was thinking like if Romeo Langford had gone to college for one more year and was in this draft, like <laughs> what would he, he would be like, I don't know where he would be, but I think he'd be in consideration for the top five. I'm guessing. Interesting. Like, yeah. um, and where, so, where did the Celtics draft him? This year they have the 14th pick. No, where did they draft uh Langford? 14th also. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it it's so it's like this really weird draft also where because the salary cap is like um it's the same as it was last year but because it usually goes up it like see it feels i'm sure it feels to teams like it's lower than it like should have been kind of and mm-hmm. um you know normally the rookie scale for salaries is this thing that like tamps down value like if you if you were going to like pay james wiseman for example on the open market right now like i don't know what he would get but like maybe i I don't know what it would be but like in a normal year you would have to pay whoever these top picks would be like way more than what they're going to provide in on-court value because they're not good yet but this year it's like the number one pick because of the rookie scale is going to get like a four-year deal for like 44 million dollars or something like i don't know like i don't think there's a good chance like Anthony Edwards is going to be worth $44 million over the next four years. Like I wouldn't mind taking a stab at his next contract, but like, it's going to take him a while to be good, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I don't know. I think there's a pro there's like a thing that like that a team like the Warriors, who's like uh, already spending a ton of money. Like I have a feeling they have to be at least thinking a little bit about trading this pick and number two, just because like, there's like better ways of spending ten million dollars a year, like right, right. Um, so I don't know. Like normally, it feels like the, the um the money you'd spend on a pick like that is like worth. I don't know. It's like worth that value, but I don't know if it's gonna be this year. And like from the Celtics' perspective, I was doing the math on adding up. So they have fourteen, twenty six, and thirty, 
And if you add those up, I think it comes to like 6.8 million in year one. And the Celtics are over the luxury tax too. But like, so if they like traded all those picks and traded up to like, just let's say they got like, I don't know. I feel like one thing that keeps coming up is this idea of trading up to number seven where the Pistons are picking. Like if, I don't think the Pistons would do that trade, but if they did, the number seven pick is going to make like 4.7 million this year. So like if you're the Celtics, not only by trading up, would you get like a higher pick, but you would save $2 million plus right. the luxury tax implications of those $2 million. So it's like, right. I don't know. I like, I think there's going to be a bunch of teams thinking about trading down and a bunch of teams thinking about trading up. And mm-hmm. it just feels like really volatile. It also feels like you're not necessarily getting a better player at like, even at number like one, than you are at like number seven or maybe even at like number 14. Like it just seems so crazy. Like, um, and then another thought I was having about this is like in a normal year, there's like all these yin prospects who teams are looking at as like these draft and stash guys. So like, Mm -hmm. if you don't want to spend money in the short term, you can draft this guy, but like he won't come over right away and you can like defer having to pay that rookie scale contract for a little while. But this year, it seems like the only one is that guy, um, Bomaro, from, uh, who's on Barcelona. And, like, uh, I wonder, like, he was being, he's being rumored, like, late first round, basically. But mm-hmm. I think there's a chance he's going to go way higher because some team is just going to, like, see this value in, like, oh, we'll just let him play for Barcelona this year. He'll get, like, great experience. He won't cost us anything yet. And we'll wait until next year to bring him over or the year after that or something. Um, like a, a weird scenario like that might inflate the value of a player like that. By the way, I was watching highlights of him and he's like uh, in the highlights, he's throwing like brilliant, insane bounce passes with both hands. I'm like, I, I'm like ready for the Celtics to take him at 14 and just like, uh, is he, is he like a Rubio type? Uh, there's like a flair that reminds me a little bit of Rubio. Uh, I, he, I, th- I don't know. I haven't read enough about him to know if he's a better shooter. But the other thing I was noticing in the highlights is that he seems like really good at navigating screens on defense. Like he's just like he's big and he's getting over these screens like, I don't know. He's an exciting cool. player. But anyway, like yeah. I just think there's like all these factors. Yeah. Like somehow the fact that this is kind of like a shitty even draft is going to like add a lot of volatility to it. Yeah, so you're expecting like a really unconventional draft night where yeah. maybe things that we're not used to seeing will happen. Yeah, and I do, I like, everyone Everyone is reporting that like, it's unlike, like teams haven't been like selling first round picks in a long time. Like the last mm-hmm. time I remember this happening in a big way is like when the Celtics bought the Rondo pick from Phoenix, kind of. <laughs> like, um, It doesn't happen often that a team just like outright sells a first round pick. But yeah, like. Right. I wonder, I wonder what the financial situation of some of these owners is right now. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, like, there might be an opportunity for, like, these teams that are using money as their competitive advantage, like the Sixers or something, um, to, like, really, like, make some moves. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting because, of course, like, the way the cap works is supposed to, like, um, limit teams' ability to... You know, like in baseball, you know, the Yankees will spend like three times the amount of another team yeah. to field like an all-star roster. Yeah, yeah. And the and basketball has kind of gone out of their way to try and make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so maybe this is a chance where money can start to become more of a competitive advantage. Well, it's interesting because like 
basketball set up the structure where the way they the way they try to get you to not spend so much money is by penalizing the extra money that you spend right but, but like i don't know like <laughs> that just means that like if you're super rich you don't even have to care about that like <laughs> i remember i can't remember his name now who is the the russian uh nets owner prokhorov i remember like he showed up he like bought a team in brooklyn and then really shelled out for this sort of like aging all-star roster mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they just got repeatedly slammed by the luxury tax so it was like watching someone get tossed around by like like a tough like a like a surf like a yeah. like a bunch of waves um and it was like it was like he lost so much money and then he left it was such a perfect storm like they traded yeah. all those picks to the celtics under the under the supposition that like oh, we'll just spend a shitload of money. We're not going to be bad. Like, you can make yourself mediocre, at least with money. And then and then they, like, they had traded all the picks and then they decided to stop spending money. And it was, like, incredible. That's how we ended up with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It's, like, it's so amazing. Um, so, uh, anyway, like, I'm excited about thinking about all that volatility anyway. Yeah. So, we'll see what happens. Um so I wanted to talk before we get into the dangerous comps thing. I just wanted to say, like, I was reading around on the internet this morning, and evidently John Wall went on Gilbert Arenas's podcast and was like complaining about like how I was like listening to it, and it's just like it's this thing that drives me when like people are like complaining about how uncompetitive everyone else in the world is, as yeah, though yeah. they're like like it's like such a straw man kind of. But he was talking <laughs> about how like. Back in Gilbert Arenas's day, guys weren't as like buddy buddy as they are now. And I'm, I was just like, I'm old enough to remember Gilbert Arenas's day quite well, and and I definitely remember all the old heads like bitching about this exact same thing. Absolutely. Why are we like this? What like (laughs) why do why does it have to be this? Why do we have to like always be complaining about what it was like ten years ago? Like Yeah, yeah. In in ways that are so wrong. Yeah. I think it's like probably a little bit of like lizard brain. Yeah. Uh I think that like what we want out of competition is something that's like old as old as like uh human race um, <laughs> or the lizard race or the lizard race. <laughs> so like i, I don't know like what it, there's like a there's like a waxing nostalgic about time that's passed and so that's part of it is this desire to it's like how everyone on the inside the nba is always talking about how great basketball used to be when they were playing yeah it's a great marketing yeah. strategy yeah, it's brilliant. It really to like just constantly fans. be reminding your fans about how much you think everything sucks now. But I do think there's also this thing about like I don't know what what is it about competition you even want or like what are we trying to get? Ugh, out of it? I know, I don't know. I really like. Obviously, it's important because it's like good to try your best at things. It like feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There was another interesting piece of that interview where like Wall and Arenas were both like talking about how like it's really hard to get better when you're practicing with your team because the guys on your team suck compared to like the other great players in the league. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, if I was John Wall's teammate right now, like after he hasn't done shit for like two years, like, and like, I just like, what the fuck? Like I would be so angry listening to this nonsense. Yeah. 
there's something weird about when players who have been injured for a long time start to talk like this. Yeah. Where it feels like they're like processing something publicly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's something similar with like Derek Rose. Yeah. Where he was like his was not the same player, but would say these things where he sort of imagined himself to be at the top tier of basketball. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I don't know, like. I I feel like we won't, you know, the last dance uh, was the Jordan documentary we all watched, and he went golfing with. Danny Ainge in the right. middle of the Bulls Celtics series. And to me, that just put it all to bed. Like, there's no more argument about any of it. Yeah. These guys are in, like, a weird reality that no one else understands. Yep. And so they have this, like, common uh, common experience that, that bonds them. Yeah. Uh, and they're also, like, the most insanely competitive people on the earth. Yeah. Uh, like, terrifyingly so, probably. Yeah. Um, in a way that, like, fans will never really understand. So th- this idea that... And, you know, this argument just needs to be laid to rest. I know. And it never will be, but... Um... Well, and, like, let me say something about the Jordan-Danny Ainge thing. Because, mm-hmm. like, I think, like, the way those two guys would spin it, if you ask them about it, my guess is yeah. they would spin it as, like, yeah, we were competing in golf. Like, it was just, like, more competition. <laughs> um, That's it was, great. It wasn't, like, buddy-buddy, you know? But, like... Sure, yeah. But, like, it's probably the same thing when these guys now, like, are playing, like, video games together. Like... What's the difference? Totally. It's like friendship yeah. friendship is often competitive. Like I don't know, like I spent my freshman year of college like playing cribbage against my friend Jake and like <laughs> I don't like it was I guess it was competitive. It was like we kept score. <laughs> like were we being like too buddy buddy? I, I I just I don't know. It's ridiculous. You know, it's funny is the only player who seems to not be buddy buddy is Jimmy Butler. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And I feel like the way that gets talked about sometimes is that he's sort of like a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that what he's doing is like a little bit out of touch. Mm-hmm. And also he gets sometimes labeled as like a bully for being that way. Yeah. So maybe people don't actually want that. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows what they want. That's the that's the great takeaway from everything that has ever <laughs> happened. Um, as, as my grandmother said to me once after I got dumped, uh, nobody knows what the fuck they want. <laughs> uh you know what I, can i just say something about about kevin durant in this topic yes okay so <clears throat> kevin durant in uh, what 2016 had a big decision to make yes he did and he thought he knew what he wanted yeah he thought he knew what he wanted and what he actually wanted was so far from what he thought he wanted that he not only didn't make the right decision he made the exact wrong decision yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so so what i mean by that is like he thought I want to win championships and I want to win finals MVPs. But what he really wanted was what he thought came with that, which is like this adoration and like, I would say uh, love. I would use the word love. love. Yeah. Yeah. Of like a fan base. Right. Or or maybe of like the NBA audience as a whole. And I saw this like excerpt from his book that someone's putting out about that era of the warriors where he lost his mind when most Spates who was on a different team but was on the original incarnation of Warriors came to town, and the the um, home crowd in uh, in Oakland went ballistic. Yeah, and he was like, "Are you kidding me? Most Spates is getting this kind of love," and he couldn't understand it. And he could have gone to like he could have stayed in Oklahoma City. He could have gone to the Celtics. He could have gone to the Knicks. He would have gone absolutely anywhere, and he would have been everyone's favorite player. They would have like worshipped him. Mm-hmm. And he chose one, maybe maybe going to like pair up with LeBron would have been the only other place. 
where he wasn't going to get that one thing he wanted. Yeah. And to me, that's like the most human thing. <laughs> yes, I know. It's so good. That like Kevin Durant is so annoying sometimes, but he's sure. he's our most human great athlete. That's how I feel too. Yeah. Uh I think that if you can't see any of yourself in what he does, then like yeah. you're just not being reflective enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like all the like famous Kevin Durant embarrassing moments are like things I can relate to so deeply. <laughs> it's like like him like sitting on the bed pining away for someone or like him, him like him like st- starting some like alternate internet account to like check check up on what people are saying about him and then messing up and tweeting from the wrong account. <laughs> I know. It's all so like re- such relatable like yeah. And also just, like, always making the wrong decision. Always, like, having everything you want and not realizing that you have it. Like, not appreciating what you have. He's like, oh, man, it's the best. (laughs) He's, like, so delusional in all the ways I feel like I'm delusional. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, me too. Okay, good. So let's let's talk a little bit about this dangerous comparisons concept. I, like, this is a thing... Maybe I want to start here is like one thing it, like it's like the way that we always lean on like making like inter interracial comparisons like if you're going to like compare a player to another player you end up like like comparing like uh like white players to white players yeah, yeah. like right. it's like we're just so bad at like looking at a set of like uh qualities and finding those qualities somewhere else we're we're like completely broken about this yes. and like it's been occurring to me recently because um so i've been thinking a lot about bam Adebayo because i'm mm-hmm. i'm just like obsessed with the way he plays basketball he's like so good and like i think he's such an incredibly unique player like the way he's able to guard all positions on defense and like be a, an incredibly useful offensive player without being able to really shoot the ball. He's just like <laughs> so interesting to me. Yeah. Um, he's so good at like dribbling and passing that it like makes him be able to like do all this cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking like, so like there's these guys in the draft, like specifically there's this guy Onyeka Kongwu coming out mm-hmm. of USC in this draft who like, is similarly like a little undersized for a center like Bam, but like really strong and like mm-hmm. really like really athletic, like good at like finishing around the rim and all that stuff. And you keep here like because Bam just had this run through the playoffs, the guy that everyone's comparing a Kongwu to is Bam. Mm-hmm. Um and and it just seems so broken to me. Like I was so, like, I've been, like, wanting to refute this, and I was, like, looking up stats, and I was, like, oh, I'm going to, I know what stat I'm going to look for. I'm going to go back to his Bam's college stats, and, like, clearly he'll have, like, a really good assist rate that Okongwu won't be anywhere near, and it'll that'll be, like, the evidence that, like, what you think you're getting out of this guy is, like, this, like, you're, like, misreading what's great about Bam. So I went back and looked, and Bam's assist rate was, like, ridiculously low during his one year at Kentucky. Like he basically yeah. like wasn't allowed to pass the ball. Like there there would have been like no evidence basically that yeah, yeah. that this that the version of Bam that we have now like 3 or 4 years later was like coming based on this. And actually Okongwu's assist numbers are like much better. Um hmm. 
and Akangu is like the better free throw shooter and all this stuff. Like actually yeah. like Akangu's freshman year looks pretty good. But I still think there's no fucking way this guy's gonna be as good as Bam. Because what <laughs> Bam just did is this like complete outlier of like I don't know why Bam became great. Like I don't right. know, like, is it just about like being incredibly competitive? Is it like what is it about exactly? And so like I'm wonder but like sometimes these comparisons do kind of work. Like um I don't know, like people when James Harden was coming out, there were some like Manu Ginobili comparisons, I remember. And like Alan works. Yeah, and and it like kind of it was true. Like he had a like weird pace to his game and like he kind of like a funky like uh he had all the passes. He like I don't know, there was like a weirdness game that reminded people of Ginobili in a way that kind of carried through. So like, I don't know. I'm just wondering like like do, do you have like comps that have annoyed you in the past or like what do you well, think I, about all this? I think the term outlier is important here because I think oftentimes what the players who end up breaking some sort of molds are the ones that we then point to as like uh, for comps, mm-hmm. which is his own danger because yeah, like they, they're anomalies, as, as you pointed out, like no one's going to be like them. Yeah. And also if someone's going to be really good, they're probably going to end up not being other player specifically because they're good. Right. Um, but also just, you know, you're pointing out that basically Adebayo had this run through the playoffs. So I do think there's this thing where the comps that are most dangerous also just have to do with success. Yeah. So something works and everyone says, oh, that's the thing that we need to like unlock. Unlock is like the big buzzword. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we, uh, you know, bam, unlock so much. Yeah. So one obvious one for me is uh, Draymond Green. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He's like, it's like, okay, Green unlocked this small ball lineup. He can shoot threes. And then it's like. Anytime some guy comes in who's like undersized, but maybe he can rebound, it's like, hey, can we get him shooting corner threes at a high enough rate where he can be the next Draymond Green? Uh, Without which, paying attention to all the other things. That, like, actually, it's Draymond Green's like weird basketball brain that makes him yes. great, kind of. Like, it isn't, exactly. It's not just like a bunch of like characteristics you can point to. Yes. Yeah, yeah he's such a strange player. Yeah. Um, yeah, like... Yeah, you could you could have an exact version of Draymond Green, like in size and athleticism and like even skill. But if that player, if it like didn't occur to that player to like very quickly run into like a dribble handoff, like in the same way Draymond Green does, like the whole thing would break down kind of like. Yes. Yeah. 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 It has to do with like a I mean, a lot of the that Warriors team has the success has to do with creativity, like. Yeah. Um, all of their best players, um, you know, just see the floor really well and make really fast decisions and make you pay for every small indecision you make. Yeah, yeah. Or you don't make. Like, yeah. it's tempting to compare guys to Clay Thompson also, like, when they're elite shooters who, yes, like, yes, yes, who yes. also can play defense. But it's exactly. like, but part of, like, I guess what makes Clay so special is that for someone who doesn't demand the ball, he has so much confidence. Like, that's a weird combination, right? Like yes, that's yes, that's yes. actually Clay's elite skill is that his confidence is like off the charts for a player who yes. doesn't demand the ball. That's so great. I love that. Like it's not just about the fact that he's like a perfect shooter, you know? <laughs> or like a real no, he also is. help defender or whatever. But like yeah. Right, right. So I don't um, know, like what, what you go ahead. You Well, just because we're on the Warriors, um, 
when uh so i don't remember when this happened but whenever boogie cousins got traded from the kings yeah yeah he got traded to the pelicans and the king's owner um wanted buddy healed right 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 so that's why he pulled the trigger and his statement was basically i think buddy healed is the next steph curry right 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 and right. uh i remember this so well. it's just because we're on we're on this like uh warriors dangerous uh, comp um set here it, that's like the most dangerous one because anytime somebody can shoot well off the dribble, yeah, immediately people are like, "Oh, is that is it the next Steph Curry?" And it's like there's not going to be another one because yeah. it's such a like. There's a reason we haven't seen something like this before, yeah, because it's but, such a strange set of, of skills and also creativity. Yeah, it's like you make that comparison, but it's like, wait, is he also like the best ball handler in the league? Yeah, and is he also like, um. Like, does he also have like an insane pace to his game that no one else yeah. plays with? Like, and, and did he, he also this, like? Did he also he, spend like a whole year of college being like quadruple teamed and like <laughs> learning how to like pass out of these like insane? Like, I don't know. It's just like such a different life experience. Like, yeah. Well, um, when you ask that question about like what, uh, like how? Like, okay, so how do you know when a player is going to be like? How do you? how do you like pick the best player in, in, mm-hmm. in the draft? Yeah. Did you ask me that? Or did I just see that on our, our on my document? Yeah. 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 I, I, I maybe haven't asked you yet, but let's talk. Okay. About well, it. I'll throw it out there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like, so for me, the most fun I've ever had watching the tournament was Steph Curry at Davidson, just for taking sure. down all of these powerhouse schools. Yeah. Um, but he felt to me like the kind of player who maybe wouldn't translate to the NBA. Totally. Because he wasn't, he was, so, like, what's the, and this isn't a fair comparison, but, like, then someone like Jimmer Fredette right. um, goes and, like, sets the NCAA on fire and just, like, can't stay on a rotation in, in the NBA. Like, Adam Morrison. As, as So I really thought, I don't know why, but I really thought that Adam Morrison was going to be, like, a really successful NBA player. <laughs> I think I just wanted it because I loved his whole weird shtick where yeah. he had like the mustache and long hair and was like always yowling yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Crying. like despair and rage <laughs> um but um yeah so like the difference between like curry setting college basketball on fire and and jimmy Verdet is they looked different in the, in the in the tournament i know but in terms of just like what occurred versus the nba result like this huge chasm that i don't totally understand mm-hmm. yeah no it's true it's like um it turns out that when you're talking about people, the sample size is always going to be too small to make any meaningful. Yeah. Like, because the yeah, sample yeah. size is basically always one. Right, right. Like, oh, okay, this is actually what I was, so like, um, like there's like a thing where it's like college basketball is worse, right? Like you call it sloppier. Yeah. Um, and so who is good enough at basketball that they can exploit that? but it won't work against like grown men. Yep. And who is so good that they're exploiting of, of, of that sloppiness is simply a predictor of how they're going to do the same thing against like the most talented men in the world. That's the question. That's such yeah. a good, that's such a good way of putting it. Like, um, like w- what are you able to exploit and why are you able to exploit it is the question with sports, right? Like, yeah, like, sports are kind of like poker. It's like, you're always lying. Like, or you're always, like, trying to, like, get your opponent off balance or fool them in some way. And, like, yeah. um, and then, like, the question is, like, once you have a sliver of advantage, can you, like, bulldoze through that advantage and actually make use of it? And, right. like, um, 
And so, like, I just think it's so strange, like, what makes someone... Like, there's this combination of, like... Well, so I have this thing I wanted to talk about, like, this question of... I'm, I'm going to put it... Maybe you'll find a better way of putting this, but, like, uh, like feel for the game versus mm-hmm. tools for playing the game. So, like, mm-hmm. um, the classic comparison here, like, I guess from this draft, the one I'm thinking about is, like, um, like some of the, the, the guys we were talking about in the top two or three. Like, for example, like, LaMelo Ball versus Anthony Edwards. Like... The thing that everyone is excited about with LaMelo Ball is that is like the way he sees the floor kind of and like the passes he's capable of making Mm -hmm. and that he seems to have this like sort of love for the game combined with feel for the game that like seems exciting. But there's some like questions about like his like the form of his shot. Right. Or like (laughs) um, like all the like these like like his athleticism a little bit maybe. And like, yeah, like some of those tools, whereas like Anthony Edwards, like, uh, is like, is like an incredible athlete, like a built, like a prototype NBA, like creating guard basically. But like, uh, is that your dog? Whoa. Um, but like, but, Anthony Edwards, like, his, like, effort sort of waxes and wanes. And, like, it doesn't always seem like he totally wants it. And, like... Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, there's this question of, like, feel versus tools that I think is, like, sort of what we're talking about here. But, right. like... But it's... Even that's an oversimplification. Like, you need to have some tools. Like, like no matter yes. how good... If, if I, like, was playing basketball, no matter how good my feel is, I'm, like, 5'7 <laughs> and out of shape. And like, I have a bad back. Like it doesn't matter how well I'm like seeing the floor, right? Right. Um, so like I don't know. I, I guess like when you find yourself thinking about players, what are you like? What are you noticing? Like, uh huh. I don't. Yeah, know. I think you and I both are interested in feel, right? Yeah. I, a lot of things that we claim to like on this podcast would fall under that category, right? Uh. Because I, I, I like Lonzo Ball because he's an interesting passer. And yep. I sort of imagine I'm going to like LaMelo Ball for the same reason. Yep. Even though they both have like these hilarious uh, shots. I like, know. Really <laughs> deeply busted. Yeah. Um, I think Lonzo fixed his recently. I was trying to fix his. his more. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think but, um, but regardless, like, yeah, you have to have a you have to have something in column A and column B. But probably column B, like the tools mm-hmm. are probably that probably is where people end up becoming busts where it's like, Oh, wow. They have all these physical gifts, but then, um, there is this, like, you have to have like this really high basketball IQ to be playing at such a high level. And, uh, that gets like exposed. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's hard to predict like, um, yeah, I think it's hard to predict. Like, I think we do a lot of like, I'm trying to think of a good example of this, about someone who came into the league like that we thought of as a tools person who it mm-hmm. turned out actually was like a love of the game person and a feel person. It does mm-hmm. happen from time to time. Like, sure. Um, I don't know. It, it like, I guess like maybe a good example of this is like, is Jalen Brown actually like okay. who sort of like, I, like my memory of him coming into the NBA is that, um, like people were actually worried. Like he, he, everyone kept describing him as like really smart, 
but it was like a negative. It's like, hmm, this guy's pretty smart. Like, what is what is he gonna like want to do things his own way? God forbid, or like, and I, but but he's like this elite athlete. But does he have feel for the game? Kind of thing, right, right. And like, that's a player where like his first year in the NBA felt like he didn't feel the game well. Like, hmm. but but like he's got a a really good brain, and he's like you see him like reading the game better year by year. Uh, but with a lot of guys, that never like. That never happens. Like, their feel doesn't... Like, I think we think of feel as this thing that's unimprovable and sort of inborn, but it is mm-hmm. learnable, actually, if you love the game, I think. Yeah, right. Um, and so it's like, there's just all these different skills you can look at, and it's so hard to know, like, which ones are going to pan out and which ones are, like, capable of being improved. I yes. think Ka- Kawhi Leonard's a great example of this. Like, um, like when he came out... of like. Even now, there's something so mechanical about his shot yes. that I still find myself doubting it sometimes. Like, <laughs> um, like there's like there's this like thoughtfulness to it. Looks so worked on and like like built kind of that it, agreed that it, that it seems to like go against my whole idea of feel, but but really it doesn't. And and like and it turns out that all of his like the stuff he was good at as a younger player, like, uh, isn't necessarily the stuff he's good at now, but it all, it all mattered. Like the fact that he was an incredible rebounder, like meant something about the way he was able to see the space of the floor kind of that has translated (laughs) into all these other different things. Right. Right. I don't know. Um, so Another player I'm really interested in from this draft class is this guy Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Um, okay. And I don't know if you've like looked at any of his like um like who he is, but so he's like this big guard kind of and okay. he had like in college he, his like he's a really unique player cuz he has uh his like shooting percentages are really good. Um and his like help defense is really like he gets steel he had an incredible steal rate and he like seems to like he's got really good feel for the game but for a top prospect like that he's being talked about as like a top six or seven pick his like usage rate was incredibly low he like doesn't dominate the ball at all mm-hmm. um but he also has like a really high assist rate so like there's some like it's easy to want to make some like Lonzo Ball comparisons, but he doesn't have the same like. Um, I don't think he's quite as good an athlete even as Lonzo is, hmm. even though he's big. But it's this like for me the question with Halliburton, and it's just like so interesting to me that he's even a top prospect because it just feels like it's all about this like kind of like. He f- he clearly feels the game in a way that is exciting to people, but like I can't. I'm surprised people are taking it on faith, kind of. <laughs> um, and I just, like, I have... He's, like, an interesting test case for this for me because I just have no idea. Like, I, it's so easy to imagine him being a bust, but it's so also easy to imagine him, like, going to a good team and immediately becoming this kind of, like, glue that makes them way better right away. Um, and I so I love thinking about that. Whereas like so many of the guys who usually come out of the draft are like, you get these like elite athletes, and it's like, are they ever going to figure it out? Basically, right. I don't know. Right. So do you take a swing on a guy like that? Yeah, it's like an interesting one. Like, 
I don't know. I think like the standard way of thinking about this is that if you're a good team, it makes sense to draft a guy like Halliburton. Mm-hmm. If you're a bad team, it makes sense to get a guy who like can eat up a bunch of possessions and be like an offensive fulcrum by himself kind of. Gotcha, yeah. But like I don't know, it sort of is an interesting question of like what's harder to find. Like is it harder to find the guy like isn't it true that you can just like if you want a guy who can run your offense, just go trade for Lou Williams? Like, <laughs> like it, I, there's a way in which that's actually not that hard to find. But like someone who like does well, the like mystical connective work is yeah. like maybe harder to get. Well, I think a bad team is just looking for a player that they can build around. Right. I don't think it's actually like how do we how do we fill up a bunch of offensive possessions. It's like can we find, you know, uh, is Devin Booker going to lead us to a championship? Yeah. You know, is Marvin Bagley going to lead us to a championship? Right. Is Luka Doncic? Um, so I think when we think of, like, offensive fulcrum, what we mean is, like, can we find our Antetokounmpo or, um, you know, Kawhi Leonard? So, but this is interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. what makes... What makes someone like that, like, where are we at with Antetokounmpo? Like, yeah, no, that's a good question. Like, where are we at? <laughs> like, um, where are we at with Devin Booker? That's an interesting question, too. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Like, what does it mean to be? Well, so, you know, each NBA team has like a bunch of scouts, right? Yeah. I'd be so interested to know what they, what, what to what extent are they, uh, framing these like how are they framing these discussions and to what extent are they saying here are the stats here's what we know what translate and how much are they just saying like i have a gut feeling based right, right, on right. watching this person compete that you know this is this is what we have to go with um I, i'd be so curious to know like where they fall in this on the spectrum between feel and tools yeah do you are there like what do you think is the easiest skill to improve on in basketball oh <laughs> um uh probably like the hustle ones you know like oh, interesting um, this is really interesting that you're saying that like if you're if you're like an unskilled basketball player you can still box out yeah yeah but don't you feel like i sort of feel like guys never guys who don't hustle never start hustling <laughs> oh yeah you said easiest like maybe you i mean, mean most, most likely. common maybe i yeah, mean yeah. most likely <laughs> i think probably shooting like just there are a lot of shooting specialists. Like, yeah. I think if somebody shows up on a team and has all these skills but can't really shoot, like, that one's an easy fix. Okay, but then why, um, like, why can Dwight Howard still not make free throws? I mean, they're definitely outliers. And so, like, someone like Dwight Howard or Ben Simmons, um, like, I don't know how to explain them. <laughs> I think it's probably I think it's probably mental, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, with Howard, I think it might be that he's like too strong. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the I think I think ultimately what all this comes down to is that we're talking like all this stuff is like probably like I don't know what percentage to give it, but like maybe all of it is like three quarters mental, mm-hmm. and like, but you change your mentality. Which is interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, so like, we're yeah, talking about ahead. we're talking about like Kawhi. So like, um, 
he's a good example of what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think you can teach very easily what Kawhi was good at when he became uh, like a essential part of that Spurs team that went on to win a championship in terms of like the defense he played on LeBron, like the way he jumped passing lanes, but they taught him to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's a really good shooter. Yep. Uh, so I think they're like intangibles that are, you know, that he had that are impossible or very difficult to teach and shooting yeah. is a simple one. Well, and I, but I would, I would, I guess I would say this is how I'll complicate it is like, mm-hmm. I agree. So shooting is like a mechanical thing you can work on. Yeah. But I think there's like intangibles or uh, to to quote the name of this podcast, there's like pieces of your disposition that make it possible (laughs) for you to do that. Like um, like there's there's been a million dudes who have tried to fix their shot (laughs) and like some of them fix it and some of them don't. And then there's been a million dudes who have had like bad percentages but like the jail i think about jalen brown all the time because like i was so sure he was going to be a good shooter eventually because like when i watched it even in college when he couldn't make anything the form was just like gorgeous like it yeah, like yeah. came out of his hands with like perfect rotation and like mm-hmm. he just like looks like a textbook for shooting a basketball and mm-hmm. like i just was like if he keeps working on this forever he's gonna figure it out but then there's guys who like like Eric Gordon has a beautiful jump shot and like some years he's shooting the shit out of it and some years he can't make anything. Like it's all just like so it's so mystical. Yeah. And thank God it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Alright, let's end it there. That's enough for today. Good (laughs) good talking to you, man. You too, Seth.